I'm your host, Erin Groves, and this is where your positivity journey starts. Welcome to the Pop Podcast. Hey, 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 guys, and welcome back to the Pop Podcast. It is another Monday. Thank you for tuning in. I hope everyone had a fabulous weekend. I traveled home this weekend, which was super nice to go back to Charlotte. The weather was awesome for the most part, and it was nice just to see my family who I have not seen in probably like three or four months. I took a day off work and just relaxed, spent time in the sun, spent time with my dogs, and we were supposed to go to the lake. Unfortunately, my mom got sick, which she is fine now. I am very, very, very grateful for that. So that is kind of how my weekend went. And today I am so excited. I kind of switched things up with this episode. This is my first book review. And to kind of give you a little backstory, I, since I launched this podcast back on January 1st, I have talked about Think Like a Monk. And I always reference certain quotes in the book in previous episodes. And I was texting back and forth with one of my friends, Riley, shout out Riley. And she was just texting me about the podcast. And she's like, I really think you should do an episode on Think Like a Monk. She really resonated with the book. I obviously really resonated with the book. I rave about it. And for those that know me personally know if I'm obsessed with something, I don't shut up about it. And so I was like, I love the feedback. I love the idea. Let's go for it. So I texted one of my good friends who has been very supportive of the podcast since the very beginning, which I am also very grateful for that. And he also loves podcasts. And so I was like, hey, let's do a book review on Jay Shetty's Think Like a Monk. And his name is Drew Albert, as once we get into the episode. And we took it down from a list of 10 or 11 things down to five. I really wanted to focus on five things that both him and I resonated that you all could also resonate with. I think there's a lot more than five and a lot more than 10. I think this book is filled with knowledge for anyone at any age. I mean, I'm 25 this coming Sunday, and I wish I read this book or had this book five years ago. It's so good. And there's one thing that I want you guys to take away from it. It's that don't let fear stop you from going after or doing the things that you want. And that's something that I really learned about myself is that I knew I was stubborn and I think in my career, things have always come naturally to me, which is something we talked about on Mike's episode. But I think for me, it was in relationships that I really brought that stubborn energy into. And if it wasn't something that I was comfortable with or there was fear around it, I would just turn around and run the other way, which was not the solution. And so that's really kind of what opened my eyes to that. And I did a lot of self-reflection, a lot of journaling after I read this book. And so I hope each and every one of you listens to this episode. Go buy the book. It's on Amazon. It's at Target. And I will stop talking and let's get right into it. Drew Albert and Think Like a Monk. Drew Albert is here with me today. Introduce yourself. Who are you? Yeah, first of all, I'm I'm not a monk. Uh, (laughs) Surprise, surprise. But I was kind of raised by monks. I went to Cistercian Preparatory School in Dallas for those Dallasites listening uh, from fifth through twelfth grade, and 
I was taught by Hungarian monks that escaped communist Hungary and were 60, 70 years old when they taught me. So, you know, I, I, you don't appreciate that when you're 14, 15, 16 years old, but with zooming out and perspective, they, they kind of walked around the school with this joy about them. And all they were doing was teaching young boys and walking around the track and planting gardens and praying. It's like, why, where's this joy coming from? So when I saw the title of this book, it piqued my interest. And it was one of my favorite books I read last year. And Aaron enjoyed it too. Oh my, I did not know that about you. Yeah, I don't lead with that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I've known him for what, like two years now? I've, it's probably been longer. Yeah, um, but maybe a little more background for your listeners. Not just some monk race kid. <laughs> yeah. What do you, yeah. Give us whatever you want. Okay, yeah. You're the star of the um, show. I'm background noise. So I'm uh, usually in a suit most days. I'm a real estate attorney. And then on the weekends, I'm more like this and, <laughs> and athleisure. Um, better with the sweat on me and, and probably better after a couple drinks. <laughs> oh, well, that could be debatable. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I actually didn't know that about you, but I think the one thing that both of us, and I'm going to speak for me, not speak for you. Um, when I picked up this book, it was a time in my life where I was navigating a lot of challenges in work and in personal relationships. And I think to kind of take that a step deeper, I did an, an episode on solitude. And this is something you and I have always bonded over. Very similar mm -hmm. um, work ethics, similar, you know, I wasn't raised by monks. Um or grew up in a school with monks, but I just think we have a similar outlook on that. And I think that's why we bonded over this book. And if you're out there and you're on edge first, go buy it. It's the best 10, $15 you'll ever buy. Absolutely. Like hands down. Yeah. It's, and I think the, again, before we get into those five things, I think really what this book taught me, especially at that point in my life is that you're not alone in whatever it is that you're going through and kind of like detaching from everything you've been taught and like detaching from things that maybe you don't align with and really just kind of coming into like your true authentic self. And again, the time in my life that I had this and read this book was in December. And so it was just transition phase. Like I was going through a career, navigating relationships, navigating fear, all of these things. And so I think that's kind of what made me pick up this book, kind of elaborate. I mean, you just said why yeah. I saw the title, but. I mean, it's, it's timeless wisdom, right? Mm-hmm these monks are practicing things day to day that they've been doing for 2000 years. And the way Jay Shetty sets up the book is that he's trying to apply it to our present day lives. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I read a lot of books per year and this is one of my favorites because there were so many actionable takeaways that we've, we've talked about and we'll get into more, but there's so many things that a 20 something can take away from this and really calm their lives and, and bring peace to it. And I think that I'm all about takeaways. I was just, you know, I ran on every episode, like, how can you bring this back to an audience? But I think that's why this book was the first book I wanted to do a book review on is because there's so many things that without reading it from this podcast, you'll be like, this resonates or this makes sense or, you know, whatever it is, we hope that you leave this episode and, you know, we focus around five main categories, but there's so much more to go into. Um, and so kind of the first thing to start with, and I know you and I talked previously about this, but is identity and authenticity. And you're going to go into the detail here, but this is how he kicks off the book. And I think it's just focusing on and realizing where our identity comes from. And I think you might be past this phase, but for me, it's like you kind of come to this point in your mid, late 20s, wherever it is, age is just a number, but it's like 
you're forced with what you were raised with and what you're around now. For sure. I mean, for the listener to give a little background, I'm 29. Aaron's 24. <laughs> you're 30. Come on now. Yeah, I'm almost 30. <laughs> but uh, we're probably on the same level of, of maturity because y'all 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 get to it faster. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't done cooking until a few years ago. So I, I think, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of takeaways from finding your identity and authenticity. Um, I mean, Dr. Seuss says the timeless quote, <laughs> like there's no one newer than you. And that's so true. But it's never been more applicable than today. I think today's generation is the most impressionable. And I don't blame them. I mean, they have the most stimuli we've ever had. You know, having a, a sister that's nine, 10 years younger than me, I, I feel for girls growing up today that, you know, how do you be authentic with that? Well, I see some of these kids and, the, you know, we didn't, you and I didn't grow up with, with the fake fillers and, and the fake butts in our faces all day. And, and so, like, we, we, were, we were just talking on AIM and, and Facebook and it's a different ball game. I mean, people have always been jealous of other people, tried to change their own image, but it's never been more front and center than today. I, I know that was like kind of a wild example, <laughs> but I think it's true. I, I think it's very true. And I think guys come to that, face that later than girls. You know, growing up, y'all might have mm-hmm. it worse with the image. But for a guy, college and early 20s is very impressionable. You're like, okay. All these fraternity guys are you know, doing this, that, majoring in finance. And for for me, I majored in finance, but I'm not even, that's not what I was interested in. I, I was interested in history. I should have done that. And you, you realize these things throughout your 20s. And at some point it hits you like, let me just be me. Because, you know, at some point, whether you're hanging with friends or pursuing something romantic, the jig is up. Like they'll, they'll find who you are eventually. So you might as well just come with it from the jump. Because, you know, there's, there's only one you and if people, if people rock with you, great. But if they don't, then keep it moving. Cool. And this is coming from someone who, I mean, I'm fresh out the gate always. When he first met, he met me, he probably was like, oh my Lanta. But I think it's so true. And you also met me in a transition phase. Like, I feel like probably when you first, I mean, we don't need to go into first impressions, but it's like the transition. Okay. (laughs) I mean, bubbly, (laughs) bubbly for days, but Continue. I don't, I don't want to sidetrack us. <laughs> Lord. Um, but I think you touch on a good point, And I always say this, and I said this in previous episodes that we're overloaded with data and yeah. it's just, it's in your face constantly. You're pulling up Instagram, you're doing all these things. And you've probably heard me say this a million times. I think that's one of my biggest issues with Instagram is that mm-hmm. it's like you pull up this image of you see Aaron and if you see me on my Instagram and then you meet me in person, I mean, there's just no quarrel. And I think that's why I love podcasting so much, but again, tying it back to the book again, that's why we're here. Um, Jay does such a good job of capitalizing and just drawing attention to what's the obvious. Like you're, we so often attach to an identity that someone else is telling us who to be. Like yeah. I've been told a million times over, you're so aggressive. You're so assertive. You're too loud. If I listened to every single person that said that I would have, that's just who I am. Yeah. But like, you'd rather be love for who you are than who you're not. And, and in fact, I'll take a step th- further. You'd rather be rejected for who you are than love for who you're not, because that's a lot of burden to carry. You have to keep on this. You have to keep perpetuating this facade of some, something you're really not. And, and I think yeah. 
a lot of people in a lot of people in our generation. Well, I guess we're kind of different generations, but yeah, you're. <laughs> you might be Gen Z, <laughs> but a lot of people in their twenties are, are dealing with that, especially yeah. like you mentioned, social media. You know, it's a, it's a highlight reel, and then you meet them. It's like, is that you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and again, there's no judgment around it. He talks about in the book, like releasing judgment. But I think it's we're allowing other people to dictate our identity instead of just like tuning in to who we are. And he goes through tangible and we can get to that later. But I think, you know, kind of around that first thing of like identity and authenticity. And one of the main things he says is like tuning into who you are and tuning everything else out. And I think when I deleted the Instagram app off my phone, and I've always been a little bit more on the stubborn side. Naturally, I'm a middle child through and through. Um, I think it was, that's when I really realized. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions, and I'm, I don't think we haven't talked about this before, is that when you become who you truly are, there's a fear that that's not going to be good enough and you're going to lose people. And I have lost two of my best, previous best friends in the last two years coming into who I truly am. And they, they weren't meant to be. And it's so true because I think we get going back to fear. It's like, again, another thing we're going to talk about, but it's like you get scared that when you come into who you are and you speak your truth, you're going to lose people. And I always say the door's right there. I'm going to close it behind you. Yeah. There's a sense of peace and and walking through the world and just being yourself. And I mean, it, it, it hit for me a few years ago, I think. And growing up, especially in, in sports culture, you're taught like, this is cool. This isn't. I quit piano when I was 14. Like, this is a dorky thing. And now I'm like, man, I wish I could just rip it on piano. <laughs> um, you know, growing up, it's, it's not cool in high school or college to be like smart and like read. At some point in my mid 20s, I just, it's like, I like to read. Sorry. Um, if it and, makes and, you who you are. Exactly. And, I know you for that. Like, literally. But I, also, like, oh. aside from just carrying that piece with you, people can smell it. Like, you walk into a room, especially with, with, with guys from me, I can tell if a guy's being authentic within five minutes. Like it's pretty innate. Yeah. Do you agree? Oh, I mean for girl, I always say that I'm like, yeah. I can energy. You're not fooling anyone. No. <laughs> so you might as well be yourself. <laughs> no. I, I'm also not good at that. Um, I can, I mean, I can turn it on more than usual, but it's just like, I don't, and I think some of the steps and I don't know if you, you're better with quotes. Um, I don't know if there's like specific quotes or anything that you have to reference for the audience. But I think like the main takeaway around identity and authenticity is putting things away and detaching from an image that you think you should be because society tells you that's where you should be by a certain age or by a timeline. And you and I are both, I mean, again, I'm not going to speak for you, but timeline is a whole nother conversation. But I just think when you're going through that and a lot of people are, and I don't think you have to come into it at a certain age, kind of like you talked like, you and I are at the same spot and we're five years different. Right. I don't think there's, there's not a right or wrong. And I came into it sooner just because I've been through so much in my life, but it's like, there's not a right or a wrong. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any quotes from the book, but I'll make one up. Being one of one is way more valuable than being one of a hundred. So to be you. Yeah. I like that. You know, he's bringing energy to the podcast that I, I did not think he would go this deep. Um, Okay. We're moving in to this second one, which is ego. And this is something that I have detached from over the last seven months. And if it wasn't for this book, 
I don't think I would have ever recognized that was my problem. And I'm using myself as a guinea pig because I've always been someone that I think that leads with ego, especially, especially I say especially wrong. You're just gonna make fun of me in relationships. You gotta write that down. Yeah, it's because I did it because you're sitting right across from me. Yeah. Um, but that's something I will say in work. I think it's just like being in sales. I'm always trying to prove myself, especially around a bunch of alpha males. But I think I carried that energy into relationships and I didn't realize that that was my issue until I picked up this book and read it. And I was like, I'm leading so much with ego and the fear associated with me not being the one that ends it or me not being in control or whatever it was. And he just does such a good job at explaining where that comes from and then giving ways to detach from that. And I know you're going to yeah, take a step I'll, further. I'll, uh, I'll read his quote from the book that really caught me. It might have been one of my favorite takeaways. He says, when a Roman general returned from victorious battles, it is said that it was customary to have a slave stand behind him whispering, remember you are man in his ear. No matter how well he had done and how lauded he was for his leadership, he was still a man like all other men. If you're at the top of your game, beware. Ego isolates you. Mm-hmm. Don't live in a world where you start thinking you're so special that one person is worth your time and another isn't. And I love the example because it's from thousands of years ago and it's still true. And I, I see ego as kind of two spheres. There's, you know, institutional ego that he talks about, like in your job with leaders and there's, there's social ego. Like we can, we can talk about institutional first because I've seen this recently. I started a new job a few months ago and my previous one, you know, the leadership was you know, not where it should be. And when I was looking for a new job, I, I thought I'm looking for leaders that, that want to learn, that know they don't know everything, that treat, you know, the most important client the same way they treat their, the janitor, the receptionist. Because any company, I mean, if, if a fish stinks, it stinks from the head. And so a company, if the leader stinks, if he thinks the shit don't stink, you know, the company is probably not on the right track. Um, companies that say, you know, we've always done it this way. That's wrong. We're, we're fine. No, that's not, that's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy now. I mean, he gives an example in this book about the CEO of Netflix uh, offered a 49% stake in the company to the CEO of Blockbuster in the year 2000. And Blockbuster said, now, we've always done it this way. You know? We know how that book ends. I mean... Sayonara. Yeah. Literally, you took that word from me. Um, but it's, it's so true. And it, it, I think I've I've noticed it being in sales. I don't think it's necessarily affected me, but I also think it's because I, I just tend to lean more on the ego-driven side. I think you as a person aren't as ego-driven. Maybe I, I've read you wrong, <laughs> but you just... You don't... I feel like you don't make decisions based off of ego. I try not to. Yeah. You're good at like, which I for very much have. And, and I think it, again, this book was like the wake up call, like, hello. And it just doesn't get you anywhere. It's like, you know, I always believe treating everyone. We're on the pop podcast. It's like treating, having a positive mindset, but treating everyone like they're your next boss. Yeah. And then, I mean, on a social level, one of my non-negotiables for, for people, whether it's uh, a friend or a girl if they if they are too cool for someone, if if they're treating the the server bad, the flight attendant, mm. the Uber driver poorly, that speaks volumes. I mean, y- you think you're that high and mighty, 
because you're in this station in your head that you're going to talk down to someone. In reality, you can learn a lot from them because those people are the most patient people. Yeah, you are patient. That is that is true. But no, I, I agree with that. And he gives um, good he gives good steps in there. And I think one of the main things he says is just detachment. Mm -hmm. So I think for me was letting go of ego came from control. And I don't know if you have a, but it's like for me and what I learned, I was trying to control things that I couldn't control. And it was an ego thing. Like I wanted to be ahead of wherever I was, or I was trying to control outcomes and people that I couldn't. And for me, it was just really focusing. And it was also because it was a book that I started meditation. That's when I really came to realize all these things is that the decisions I was making were based off of ego. And for me, it was just detaching from the outcome and letting things flow naturally, letting people come into your life, letting people leave and not like, and not attaching to an outcome that is in your favor or not. Cause I'll, you know, ultimately you can't control that. Um, that's my tangent on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it comes down to, having confidence versus humility and and those can coexist together actually but but some some people want to play up the former confidence and really they should be leaning into the latter humility and sometimes it takes being humbled to uh to to learn the the lesson of ego and and where the path it can take you down um you see that across business you see that in the headlines you see it every day and jay talking about ego. Um, it, it's something that has been here for 2000 years plus and it's not going away. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, back to the social media, it's getting t- worse. T- talk, talk about ego. You know, people need it stroked. <laughs> like, it's like, give me, you know, I want, I want the attention likes DMS. So I, it, it, if yeah. anything, it's only getting worse and we, we can take a lot from the ancient wisdom that has stood the test of time. And the way to, I mean, it ties back into the first one, which is identity and authenticity and just realizing that people are going to see you for who you really are. And if you're showing up in a situation and I've struggled with this uh, in business, because I think sometimes I care too much about the person um, that it almost hurts me because I'm not using my ego as much or whatever the outcome is. But I just think it's okay to be a humble person. And I think that's admired most in the episode I recorded this before this was with one of the most humble people. I think that's the one thing about him that I admired the most was how humble he was with the success he's had. And I think if you're scrolling social media or you're listening to this and you're like, I want to buy this book or whatever it is that you're thinking when it comes down to ego, when it comes down to seeing things right in front of you, take it for a grain of salt. Like I always ask my friends, I'm like, when you posted that Instagram, what, what would you want? And nine times out of 10, they're trying to get someone's attention. And I'm like, then I post things because I want to post them. Granted, I don't post a lot, um, but I like that. Yeah, you're better than most. I think everyone's a little guilty of that. But uh, just just to wrap up the the ego conversation, I think if you if you want to look at how you can be successful with humility and not ego, you you can look to many of the most successful people, whether mm-hmm. it's, whether it's business or or politics. You know, another book that I loved last year was Bob Iger, CEO of Disney started you know ground floor at disney real like lowest level entry level job and has stayed at the company for decades and and still treats everyone with you know the mindset of oh i've been there i know what that's like i can still learn uh if you look at our our uh some of our our presidents not all of them but 
a lot of them reach, you know, the, the pinnacle of politics and still are trying to learn. People like uh, Barack Obama and George W. Bush read over a hundred books in their last year of presidency. You know, they, they've scaled the mountain, but they have the humility to say, I don't know it all. Cause no one does. Yeah. So if, if they don't, I don't, you don't, we don't. <laughs> oh, I'll be the first one to admit that one. I got a long way to go. We're just starting now. Um, okay. Moving into the third one, which you're going to take this because I know you're a huge basketball fan. Um, and you had a quote, a Kobe quote in the book, uh, that Jay put. And I, I think for me, read the quote first and then yeah. I'll get my feedback. The late, great Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. Uh, but in the book, the quote was, a lot of time creativity comes from structure. When you have those parameters and structure, then within that you can be creative. If you don't have structure, you're just aimlessly doing stuff. And that, it really resonated with me. I mean, if you, just a couple examples. If you're gonna give a toast at a wedding or a speech in your job, you're gonna plan. You're gonna you know, put in the work. But then when you get up there, you wanna know it's so cold that you can kinda flow. You can kinda be spontaneous and play with the audience a little bit. Um, if you're going to throw a house party, you're going to clean up that morning and make sure the house is looking good so you can let your hair down later. You know, that kind of structure gives you the ability to just live in the present because you, you've done the work. Now you can just go, go off of the, what's in front of you. Yeah. In that quote, when we were talking about this, that one immediately resonated with where I'm at in my life right now because I think any time I've lacked structure or lacked being busy or whatever it was, other aspects of my life fell through and I don't think I realized it. And, you know, relating it back to this podcast, I think I'm the most creative, the busier I am and the more structured I am because it's, I have these things that I know and are mundane or things that I do every single day. So the time that I have that I'm not in those not forces creativity, but I think it just opens up your mind or it opens up opportunity for that to occur. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if take apart from work, take any like hobby that you, you want to get good at, whether it's writing, painting, doing yoga, piano. Sure. I need to get back into that. Um, <laughs> let's, let's say you, you set off, I'm going to, I'm going to do this hobby from six to seven, Monday through Friday. You might not have breakthroughs every day, but because you've implemented that structure early from six to seven, you're checking the box every day and you're giving yourself a chance to be creative yeah. and, and to have break, breakthroughs there. Yeah. What, what have you seen with, with your yoga practice and what, what has given you from having that, that structure? Because you, you're, you're five days a week with it at least, right? Yeah. And you, you know you can count on it mm -hmm. and that, that probably augments other parts of your life. I 1000% would not be who I am if it was not for yoga. I yeah. mean, talk about humility. That was, I mean, there's so many things. I think a lot of it had to do with things personal in my family. Um, but I think it took yoga because it forces you, and Jay talks about this all the time, to be still. Mm -hmm. It's in the moments of stillness and when you're in meditation. And that's honestly what completely changed me was just like, I go to yoga and you have that creativity and you have that flow thing. You're not forcing things, but it forces you to be still in your body. And when you're still in your, obviously your mind's still racing, especially me. I mean, 
one of the most high energy people I know, but it's just like when you're forcing yourself to be still in moments and find that pause, you notice things that you would have never noticed before. And so I guess to answer your question, like what has that done for me? It's augmented so many areas of my life, but I think it's always been a mental, it's more mental than it is physical. Yeah. And my practice started physical. It was something that started by a certain look that I was going for in high school. I was unhappy. What kind of look was that? (laughs) To not be where I was. I was unhappy. I mean, going back to identity, I was unhappy. I was a swimmer my whole life. I lost that. I lost my identity. Truly at 14, went through an identity crisis, found running, found yoga, who I am today. But I think it started as something that was physical and it transformed into something that's mental. You hit the nail on the head. That's that's why I started running. It's physical. Well, we talk about that all the time. But I run for mental purposes now. I have my clearest thoughts and all my breakthroughs when I'm running, usually on Katie Trail. But it does get, it does that, that solitude and we'll touch on solitude more, but that gives you, you know, the break you need from all, all the stimuli coming across your screen all day long. And that structure gives you creative freedom mentally to say, Hmm, maybe this is the next step in my career. Maybe I need to work on that relationship. You don't have those thoughts when you're scrolling Instagram or when you're binging a Netflix show, you have it from structure and routine. No, it, I think it's, it's, it's well-timed conversation because we're coming out of 15 months of <laughs> solitude, pandemic. Um, well, I guess Texas has been open for a while, but we're yeah. o- open, open now. And I mean, everyone's working at home, right? It's tough to get that structure. It's tough to get that routine. And I felt myself a little stagnant. I'm doing the same. The first couple of months were pretty cool. Yeah. Let's, let's not, <laughs> let's not lie. Right but uh, for, for a while there, it was, I'm doing the same. I'm just hanging in my apartment every day where I kind of crave the structure. Mm -hmm. I I was not feeling creative at all. I I was feeling like I was just in the same place and I I was kind of deja vu Mm -hmm. and having this new job starting, you know, four months ago where I'm back in the office most days, I know where I'm going to get my workout in every day after work for me. Um, I'm before work. I, I know if I get drinks that night, I earned them because I, I was working. I was in the office. I wasn't just on my couch, like yeah. working, wink. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of earned the weekend. I, I know that, that structure gives me the ability to brace everything outside of it. And even if it's not, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, I can't resonate with Drew. It's structure in any aspect of your life. Like for me, sure. it's like even the podcast, like the podcast was born during the pandemic, but it hasn't, it didn't really come to fruition or move the direction I wanted to until I had structure, until I moved through everything that I was navigating from December really until now and got a new job and things just turn around. You know, I don't think I realized how badly I needed that eight to five or seven thirty to five every single day to really pick back up and kind of, I mean, it is a well-timed episode, but especially with the pandemic, it's like yeah. you were forced into a situation that no one I mean, no one could have ever predicted and especially being, I mean, I can't imagine being any younger. It's just like everything that I knew I'm home with my parents for six months and if I have no friends, I'm like, I'm sitting in my house. I mean, I came back and forth, like saw you guys a couple of times, but it's just like, Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about loss of structure. Yeah. But this, this topic can relate to anyone. True. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not remembering right if it's this book or another book, but 
there's uh, the Seinfeld method. Jerry Seinfeld, when he was coming up as an aspiring comedian, he called it the chain method. And even if it wasn't the best jokes he wrote down, he made it a point to, to write down jokes every day. And he put an X on the calendar every single day. He was like, I'm not going to break this chain. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Jerry Seinfeld became Jerry Seinfeld. But that structure enables some genius. Whatever it is you do. Consistency. Yeah. Keep checking the box. Yeah. Consistent. I mean, there's there's a lot we can touch on that. Um, okay. So that was number three. We're moving into number four, which I'm probably going to talk the most about that. But this is fear. And I've talked about this on a previous episode with Mike. And I think fear is one of those things that I didn't realize was inhibiting so many decisions in so many avenues in my life. Again, until I read this book, it kind of all came down to control. But I think Jay talks about it the best and he refers to three emotional needs, peace, love, and understanding. And the second thing I'm going to touch on here is when he quotes saying, I am, which I know you're going to touch on versus mm-hmm. I feel this way. Yeah. And I think for me with fear, it was paralyzing to the point of, I'm going to give a fail loss of independence. So for me, the thought of being in a relationship put me into tears because I was so scared. And again, it wasn't until I read this book and I started meditating that I realized that was what's going on. And if whether that's, you know, fear in your career, if you feel like you're stagnant, but you're like, I don't know where to go, if it's a lateral move, you know, t- again, talked about that on an episode with Mike, but in this book, he talks about detaching again from an outcome and not saying you are things. Right. Do you want me to read the quote? Yeah. Because it's good. <laughs> um, he says, when we talk about our emotions, we, we usually say we are that emotion. Mm-hmm. I am angry. I'm sad. I'm afraid. When you meet someone who's giving off a negative vibe, you feel it, but you don't think that vibe is you. It's the same with our emotions. There's something we're feeling, but they're not us. Try shifting from an I am angry to I feel angry. I feel sad. I feel afraid. A simple change, but a profound one because it puts our emotions in the rightful place. It's all transient, right? You can, you can, you can feel mad. You can feel stressed. You can feel angry, but zoom out and it's still pretty peachy, right? Usually it's, it's, yeah. it's a passing feeling. Because well, emotions are temporary. So yeah. I always try to lean on logic. And I mean, you've seen me get sideways, whatever, have my moments. We all have them. Um, but I do think when he refers to his three emotional needs, fear comes in when those three are being threatened. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like when I felt my peace was being disrupted, fear was involved. When I felt uncertainty in a relationship, there was fear. Or when I felt I was being misunderstood or someone didn't wasn't perceiving me the right way, it's like those things come about and it's not attaching to that emotion and just letting it come and letting it go was hard, very hard for me to figure that out, but... Yeah. I think a lot of times fear is accompanied by stress and anxiety. And he talks about in the book, uh, he gives an example of trees are, are buffeted by wind. Wind actually strengthens a tree. You would think it's a force that is coming at the tree, but in reality, it strengthens the tree's bark and it helps its roots grow deeper to withstand the wind. And so 
when you're faced with fear, you can choose to embrace it because it's going to make, it's going to make you better. It's an obstacle that you can overcome. And if you zoom out, it's probably, it's probably a a benefit really. I mean, if, if we want to look at the last recession, um, 2008-2009 so many companies come out of bad times when people are scared they don't know what's going on but that last recession created Airbnb Uber all these massive companies that have shifted the way we live our lives what we're currently in right now we don't know what what the companies will be yet but there are companies that will emerge from this time in our lives that are the genesis, their genesis was people were scared. Okay, how, how do we solve this? Problem solving. Yeah, it'll probably be healthcare, I would imagine, but we're going to get better from this. Mm-hmm. It's nothing to be scared of. Yeah, no, I wish I would have heard those words a while ago. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think, again, like this is why this book is so powerful because I think it brought so many things that I knew subconsciously that just hadn't come to the surface. And every time I've made a decision based off of ego that was in response to fear, there was a negative outcome. Mm-hmm. It didn't go the direction I want. And you, you had, I had to learn from it. Like if all, if the things that didn't happen to me, I would have never been where I am today. All the no's I've gotten rejection, whatever it is. It's like, if those things had not happened, I would have never come to that conclusion. I never would have grown. I would go as far as to say, if you're not, scared a little bit to make a big move it's probably not the right move Mm. if it doesn't challenge you in some respect you're you're kind of staying in the same spot buddy i mean i i i was in a to get a little personal i i was in a corporate job out of undergrad that i couldn't stand i was just cranking out spreadsheets doing corporate finance and pulling up powerpoints every day i was in a cubicle it looked fresh out of office space it was ridiculous and uh, I just said, you know, I'm going to law school. I'm more of a reader writer anyways. I'm going to move to D.C. and go to law school. There was a little fear in that, but I'm so glad I embraced it. So what, whatever, to, to relate it back to anyone listening, what, whatever you're scared of, maybe try to wrap your arms around it. It might be good for you. Yeah, take his advice. <laughs> Don't do what I do and run. Um, but no, it's true. And No, I th- but you too. Like you... You mentioned earlier you were a lifelong swimmer and then gave yoga a try and now you teach yoga. That's awesome. It's it's always been easier for me with career and stuff like that because I think, I, I don't know, it's just come naturally to me. Like I think there's certain obstacles like starting a podcast. It was never, I mean, there was fear associated with it, but it was more a fear of like lack of success, which I'm like, I love, I love this platform. Like you and I talk about it all the time. I mean, you're one of the people that's supported me from day one. Um, but I agree. And I think, you know, there's always a famous quote that you grow the most or, you know, I'm not going to quote it directly, but if you're not uncomfortable, get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's where growth is. And it's so true. I've never, and my brother actually texted me the other day and he's like, you're stepping out of your comfort zone. That's where growth happens. And it's so true. Put yourself in situations that you never would be in. There's going to be, there's going to be fear associated with it, but you know, what's on the other side of that an outcome you never would have thought of the people I can meet through this, whatever it is, you know, and I'm, using myself as a guinea pig, but you're on the other side listening to this. Whatever that thing is that scares you, whether that's getting into a relationship, whether that's leaving a relationship, which we resonate with the first, not the latter. Um, I always say like take or leaving a job, you can speak to that. It's like whatever that is, 
there's fear associated with an outcome, but I, I not promise, but I, I just firmly believe that it's like, take that leap, follow your gut and embrace being uncomfortable. Absolutely. I, uh, I read a lot of books about the Navy SEALs and there's this guy that probably a lot of people heard of David Goggins. He has a, he has a famous book called, um, can't hurt me. I feel like I've read that. Yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah. Oh, he's awesome. He's got a, a pretty big Instagram following, but his whole thing, his whole thing is, you know, your workout should suck. And, and, but he translates that to every part of your life. Like mm-hmm. hard times are good for you. Your muscles don't grow if, if you're not working them. If you didn't just kill them in the gym, if you didn't go that extra mile, if you didn't, you know, work out um, 5 a.m. when you didn't feel like it, you know, it shouldn't be easy, but you're going to be a lot more gratified after the fact. And appreciative and humble i think absolutely i mean your work like it should humble you yeah i i can definitely speak to and that's something my friends always ask me about totally different conversation but like how do you get up every day and work out because it's going to make me better because i'm a better person when i work out because i i'm clear like you said you're mentally in a better headspace like there's so many things that you know going back to fear and independence like that's one thing that you know i never want to lose and i think for me it's like the thought of being in a relationship threatened that like, Oh, what if I can't work out? What if I can't do all these things? Now I realize, okay, that's not the truth. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's so true. I didn't want to work out this morning, but did you? Of course. <laughs> I think you knew the answer, but <laughs> I don't think I've ever slept through a workout, but just, just making sure <laughs> you're keeping me honest. You're keeping me honest. Someone's got to <laughs> got your own podcast. You're your own host. Got no one checking you. <gasps> hey, that's why you're here. I'm just kidding. Um, all right. The fifth and final thing, which is probably going to be our longest tangent, solitude and relationships. And we kind of brought these two together because from my perspective, they wrap into one another and I've kind of touched on relationships and stuff the whole time. Um, but I think being on your own and learning that independence and appreciating solitude and appreciating space, him and I lean more towards we appreciate space almost probably too much. Um, (laughs) But that's where internal growth happens. That's where that identity is found if it's lost. That's where authenticity for me came to fruition was separating myself and really diving into who is Aaron. Yeah. I think it's just the way you frame it, right? Our language has two words for the act of being alone. Loneliness is the pain of being alone and solitude is the joy of being alone. So if you're feeling lonely, flip it on its head, embrace solitude, embrace, embrace it because you can be with people in in this age, anytime you want. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is get on your phone, right? (laughs) So if you're granted a couple days, a night here and there where you're by yourself, lean into it. Go to your happy spot. You know, if you if it's a walk, if you want to take a bath, if you want to do a face mask, whatever it is, do it. You know, you know you best, but you have to embrace those moments where where you are by yourself. I, I'm I'm pretty social and I don't have enough of those nights really. I probably have one or two a week where I'm truly by myself and I live alone. But I I try to embrace them when I am. Um, I, I try to fully lean into it and go to places I know that that fill my cup. Um, I think it's never 
like we touched on at the beginning of this episode, a lot of these issues are, are more rampant than ever. This is another one. You know, it's when you're alone, but you're scrolling on Instagram and you're seeing someone on a date with their boyfriend or taking a vacation, you're still not really alone. You got to lean into it. You got you got to turn the notifi- notifications off and and feel comfortable in your skin. It's crazy. Some of these social media companies, the way they have tried to wire our brains. It, uh, Facebook, the original notification was actually blue, but it wasn't keeping you on the page enough, long enough. And so they changed it to red and, and red sends off more of a, a dopamine hit in our brains. And so you get on Instagram, you see, you see a red, it's like, oh, I got a like, I got to follow, something happened. Let me stay on here, soak it up. So my point in that is that if you're alone, be alone, you know, make your mind your friend. If you want to read, read, have a glass of wine, watch your favorite show, whatever it is, but wrap your arms around it, embrace it because, you know, you're not getting away from it. (laughs) You're going to be stuck with you for life. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably alone more nights than two. Um, I do live alone as well. This is an ego question. Did you get that from me? Because I always go on rampages about how much I can't with Instagram sometimes and how much time people spend. Did you learn that lesson from me? <laughs> he did. Not, no, I mean, <laughs> he did. <laughs> you're wise, but that that's something that I've tried to set up parameters mm-hmm. with for a while. I try not to be on my phone the first 30 minutes of waking up in the last 30 minutes. And I try not to check social media apps you know, I'm at my desk, maybe I'll check it at lunch or something like that. Just, you know, you best. So you got to set up the rules for yourself. He got it from me. Maybe. We need a a boost in the ego as I'm talking. All right, Aaron, you got that one. (laughs) He's going to kill me. Um, But no, it's true. And I always say like, I did this back in 2019. I straight up delete the Instagram app from my phone. Like it's not on my phone. Some days yesterday, I don't, I don't think I got on it at all. Like yeah. I just, some days if I'm super busy at work, I just don't get on it. I'm like, if it's not serving me, granted, it's a little bit harder now they have the podcast. Um, but then it's like just getting on for however long it is or whatever. I mean, I just think I never thought about it like that though. Like if I'm at home and I'm alone, you're like, you're not really alone. I never really. Nah, you know, if someone's on a date at Monarch <laughs> or, yeah. or whatever. I'm like looking at like motivational yeah. quotes. I'm like, what is Jay Shetty posting on Instagram? Yeah. Um, but no, I like that a lot. And being in salt, like being alone for me, I think like taking this into relationships and how he talks about them, he gave five levels of relationships. And I don't know, will you look at page 239 and read them off? Um, but I think for me, tying in fear the last one the fear of losing that alone time was what inhibits me in relationships and so I think it was through this chapter that I really realized like this a plus b is causing c yeah so he says there are five primary motivations for connection Mm -hmm. and note that these don't exclusively apply to romantic prospects the five are physical attraction material AKA you like their accomplishments, the power, possessions. Three is intellectual. You like how, th- how they think. Mm-hmm. You're stimulated by them. Four is emotional. You connect well. You understand their feelings. 
And five is spiritual. You share the same values, goals. And I remember I read this and I was like, yes. Because, and I talk about this with my friends, like you are, you attract the things that you're emotionally available for when it, for me, romantic partners. And so it's like not changing the narrative from maybe the physical, intellectual into the like, okay, core values that those five stages really resonate with me. And I think he has a, um, something that you can do and like write things out. And I remember doing it and it just made me like putting a pen to a paper, made me realize so many things that I literally had no idea I was doing mm-hmm. or like things I was saying or pe- like it, or people that I was talking to. And I'm like, now that I think about it, and I'm reading this book, it, it makes so much sense, but it is so true. And until you're are alone. Yeah, where'd you have those breakthroughs? Journaling. Right. By myself. No, cl- I had no idea. I'm like, oh, I'm cool. Whatever. And, oh, so good. How would you, how would you rank those? Are there are there some that stand out more than others too? I've always been someone that dates to marry in a grand scheme. Have I made mistakes? Yes. Well, yes, we know. Um, always core values though. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that especially over the last 2 years I've grown more in my faith than I ever have and God is at the center. And so it's like if I don't find someone that's on that same wavelength and doesn't like see that and faith isn't involved and that to me is one of those more the core components. I think next I'm going to go intellectual just cuz I'm always been very career driven. Yeah, no dummies. Yeah, no, it wouldn't work. We, we don't do that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just, I've always said I wanted to start a business with someone. That's always been my dream for probably like five years now. I just always knew that I've wanted to be an entrepreneur wherever, if that speeds my soul eventually, like I've always wanted to start a business, whatever it is with the person that I'm in, that I'm married to. Um, so those are, I guess one and two. And then after, I mean, obviously looks, all those things come into play, but I think for me, it wasn't until I read that, that I was like, I think I'm overlooking certain things when I really need to focus on like, okay, who are you at your core? Yeah. Like, is God important to you? Do you want a family? Do you want kids? The core, I mean, it sounds like so no, basic, that's re- but that's it's real true. Though. Yeah, for sure. T- tough to find out those things in, in a pandemic, but. What about you? How would I rank them? Yeah. Like what's, I mean. Let me look at them again. But I can tell you that, you know, just keeping it real from across the bar, you're never like, they look like they have great values. <laughs> like that's, well, that's why you can't meet someone at a bar. That's for sure. Well, where do you meet them, Aaron? I don't know, Drew. Not on a dating app. I mean, don't ask me for, I'm one of the pickiest people out there. So don't. All right. So to run down the five again, for those at home and for myself. Uh, physical attraction, material, intellectual, emotional, spiritual. I would say there's three non-negotiables there for me. Um, spiritual, you want to share the same values. Intellectual, it's just, I feel like you'd run out of things to talk about if they're just like talking about people and gossip. And I mean, that gets old, right? <laughs> um, and then the physical attraction, you, yeah. you want to be attracted to your girlfriend wife boyfriend husband whatever it is <laughs> I, I mean i'm coming at this from a from a due perspective but the, oh ma- the one thousand percent the material doesn't mean a lot to me you know i'll, t- I'll take I'll take them as they are <laughs> <laughs> he's single ladies or i think he's single if you 
We, yeah, we don't know that. <laughs> Maybe. I'm I'm advertising you. If you're in Dallas, Texas, and you or wherever. <laughs> okay, now we're getting desperate. Okay, and we're getting off track. Um, but I I feel like the moral, like, kind of to wrap this up. Um, and as we're wrapping up the episode, this book is so good. I mean, we could I we could have a three hour long episode about this book. And I think there's so many things that you can gain from. It. I think the five things we touched on are just five things that we resonated with five things that apply to us at that at our point in our life. When we read the book, we read around the same time. Yeah. Um, we had to chop it down. There was, there was mm-hmm. maybe a list of 10 at first. Yeah. But I would say the one thing, the one quote in the book that really stuck with me and that I think people can, can take away from this book and this, this episode is make your mind your friend. You know, if, if you're, if you don't have an enemy within, then you have no enemies outside. You know, if, if you're good with yourself, I mean, then, then you're living, you're living life large. I mean, I, not, not a lot of people get to that space. I know. Ne- yeah. I guess. Okay. Wait, before we elaborate a little bit on that with, if you don't have an enemy inside. Yeah. Make, making your mind a friend and not an enemy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, I went on a, in between my jobs, I went on a 10 day trip <laughs> by myself through the Southwest going to, to national parks and mm-hmm. hiking and stuff. And, you know, people, when I talk about that, a lot of people are like, cool, cool, cool. But then they're like, why were you by yourself? <laughs> but I didn't, I mean, I knew you went and I was like, that's yeah, yeah, to go. you do you boo. <laughs> for sure. But to me, it's like, I don't know. I, I like my company, I guess. Sometimes, sometimes the seats are empty, but you know, the guest list is just you. Yeah, but I mean, could, you could go on and you could write a book on what you learned about yourself. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to get on the, the tangent of my, my trip, but yeah, you, but- you, you see all, all kinds of people out there that are doing the same thing and that are comfortable in their own skin. And it's a pretty freeing feeling. <laughs> Lean into what you like. If you like hiking, go hike. If you want a road trip, go road trip. Yeah. No, I was going to, you jumped the, jumped the gun on the one takeaway. Yeah. And I think for me, I mean, again, it's so hard to summarize and mine's not going to be a quote. Again, not as detail oriented as Drew, but I just think when you pick up a book like this, it can feel overwhelming. You can feel like you're, some people might think they're being preached at, but I think at the end of the day, there's going to be something in there that you're going to take away. And I think for me, it was to not let fear inhibit or not let fear inhibit the decisions you're making and not let it control things that I think internally I knew I couldn't control. And I think to be more specific on that, it's just, there's you're always, there's always going to be fear. It doesn't matter whatever the decision is. It's just not letting that stop you and not letting that be the wall that you can't burn down. Not letting that, the wall that stops you from getting a new job. Yeah. Going into the relationship, whatever that is, I just think that is one thing that I've been so passionate about lately is that just let go of fear. You're more than capable. And this is the positivity podcast for a reason, but it's like, you are so capable of things that you never would have imagined. You're capable of love. You're capable of a successful career. You're capable of the family. You just have to believe in yourself and don't let anyone. And I say this, everyone don't let anyone tell you, you can't, I've been told no a million times and I just don't stop. Yeah. 
I mean, don't don't mistake uh, fear for the end of the road. Some sometimes a an obstacle or a plateau plateau is a, is a trampoline to the to the next chapter of your life. So I am grateful um, for my health and the health of my family. Uh, we just had my youngest brother get married mm-hmm. last weekend, and so the family is now eight. And so I'm just I'm happy we all got to hang out. Um, doesn't happen very often over the course of 365 and, uh, everyone's, everyone's great. You know, that's something to cherish and not everyone can say the same. Yeah. Mine always goes along the same lines, but always very grateful for my family, their support and everything I do. And definitely my friends as of lately, I think you never know what life's going to bring you your way. So stay humble, stay true to who you are and express that you care for those around you. So thank you all for tuning in. Hopefully you got some takeaways from this and thank you as always, Drew, for being on. Of course, it's fun.